I want to welcome you today to a series that is designed to help you see all that you see through the lens of faith. We have been gathering under this title for the last few weeks, whether in person or online. Those of you watching on YouTube, those of you leaning into the podcast, I'm so grateful that you are here as we continue to experience and explore what we mean when we say God can. That statement of faith really is the title of this series, that God can. We serve a God who can. He can do anything. He's the God who can save, and he's the God who can guide. And like we're going to discover in future installments, he's the God who can restore, and he's the God who can provide, and he's the God who can father, and he's the God who can do so, so much. And today, we are going to take another step forward, another step into this idea, this reality. But as we do, we are going to walk up into maybe a peculiar idea that God can do, but one that is so consistently seen in the scriptures, but yet sometimes underapplied in our life today. You see, we've said much about God, that he can do this and he can do that, that he can save, that he can guide, as we've discovered already. But today I want to speak to you along these lines, that God can fight. Now, there are many characteristics of God and who he is and what he can do that I think would come to many of us second nature, that God can love. If that was one of the weeks, oh, yes, he can. God can forgive. God can heal. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, I, yes, he can. But God can fight. God is a fighter. The idea that fighting is something that our God does, I don't know, maybe that's not so much in the, in the, first thought or normal flow of what we think of and expect of God. Because a God who can fight would lead us with some questions. It would make us wonder, well, how does God fight? And, and who does God fight? And is God fighting with me? For me? Or maybe some of you would be honest enough to ask yourself even, is God fighting against me? Like, is this why I feel some of the, some of the slowness and some of the sluggishness? And God can fight. And today I want to bring illumination to this idea. And as we do, I want to turn your attention to one of my favorite types of stories in the scripture. Now, I'm just letting you know, I have a favorite type of story. And this isn't the only one. There are so many like this, but it's quite honestly, as a, as a preacher, quite honestly, even as a student of the scriptures, these types of stories are my favorite. I'm going to tell you why. You see, I uh, don't know where you're listening to this from or watching this from or where you grew up or how you grew up, but I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee. And because of that, I grew up in a city that has some um, religious overtones and understandings to it. There's a lot of uh, church glaze and malaise. People that don't follow God, people that don't love God, actually know some stuff about the scripture. And what that leads us to is some of the more famous stories of the Bible people are very familiar with. And sometimes your familiarity can prevent you from seeing what God is trying to say. 
Sometimes you're accustomed to a story. Your understanding of a story can prevent you from understanding what it is that God is actually trying to stay there. Because somebody told you somewhere along the way it means this, but actually it means that. And so because I live here and because that's where I've grown up, like I... Uh, appreciate and I love the David and Goliaths of the world and I love the water into wines of the world and I love the Moses leading the people out of captivity and the Red Sea part. I love those stories, but my favorite kind of story are those uh, stories you ain't never heard of <laughs> because the Bible is a library of 66 books and some of it is maybe common to many. But there's a whole lot of it going on in there where it's like, I didn't even know this fool was in the scripture. And today we're going to do that as we discover the God who can fight. We're going to look at one of those obscure stories, so obscure that even the scriptures only give us two verses that uh, create what is our full and total understanding of this person and their work. But don't let the brevity of their mention uh, diminish the significance of who they were in their time or what God did through them. Today I want to spend a few moments helping you to see the God who can fight through the story of Shammah. Shammah is found in the book of 2 Samuel chapter number 23. And Shammah is not famous when it concerns the scripture, but in his day he was significant. And he was significant because of the work that he had done that we are going to see. And he was significant because of who it was that he served. King David was king uh, and leader and the most powerful, most influential person in the world at that time. And he had a group of men who were warriors on his behalf. They were known as David's mighty men. 37 of them as recorded in scripture, but not all of them were seen as equals. There were levels to David's mighty men, and the top level comprised of three individuals, two that have already been mentioned uh, prior to us getting to Shammah and Shammah. They have similar stories, though, similar stories of God doing great things through them and on their behalf, and it is why they are noted and set aside as David's mighty men. And so we're going to read these two verses, and I will make sense and explanation of Shammah and his life and his story and what we can draw, should draw, and how that affects you today as you serve the God who can fight. Come on, if you're ready to study God's word together, you're ready to hear about Shammah. Somebody in that chat right now, if you're joining us at Church Online, just type, I'm ready. 2 Samuel 23, verses 11 and 12. That's all of our text for today. It says, after him, again, there had been a list of these mighty men. Two of them have already been listed. So after him was Shema, son of Agi, the Hararite. The Philistines had assembled in formation where there was a field full of lentils. The troops fled from the Philistines, but Shema took his stand in the middle of the field, defended it, and struck down the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory. That's it. That's all we know. All of Shammah's story, all of our understanding of him and his life is right there. 
We know very, very little about Shammah, except what is communicated in these two verses. There are no backstories. There is no flip over to the book of Obadiah and let me tell you a little more about Shammah or, or let, let, let's go to uh, Paul said this in, uh, in the book of Romans about Shammah. No, 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 no. This, this is it. There's no more resume to inspire us. There's, uh, there's no more details about his family. This is what we know. Shammah's name is significant. The name Shammah comes from a Hebrew word, which means to be desolate, appalled, to shun astonishment. Now, today we name people really more based on our feelings, right? If you have had the privilege of naming somebody coming into this world or having a friend who's having a child and they start talking about what they're going to name, like, like we, we name under a totally different group of um, presuppositions today. Some people try to name their kids something original, right? And it's like, I'm going to give you a name and it's really going to be made up of about four names, but that's because ain't nobody else on earth going to have your name. And sometimes there are people who are significant in our life or people who are significant in the world. And so that's why all of a sudden you see kids of a certain age, all of a sudden there's like Kobe's everywhere. Why? Well, because like 20 years ago, you know what I'm saying? Like, and, and or, or, or there were a lot of Shaquille's for a while, you know what I'm saying? Like, or, or even my name, like th there was a season of time where us Michaels dominated, but you'll be hard pressed to find many Michaels under the age of about 20. You know, I don't know why we just phased out, but like, here we are. And you will find some people Take, some people will take a family name and just be like, well, you know, I really, really like my uncles. So I'm going to get my son, my uncle's name. Like, and we have all these different reasons. I'm trying to give a name that, that sounds good with the last name. The last name is set, and so let's give a first name that kind of works with it. We ain't trying to make this thing too hard. Nothing wrong with the way we name people. That's just not the way they did it in Shammah's day. That is not the way Hebrew people went about naming people. There, there were one of two directions that people took when, when someone was giving a name to a child. It was either a prophetic announcement based on maybe what they sensed God was saying to them about their child. This is uh, someone who's going to make a difference. This is someone who's going to worship God. This is someone who is, is powerful and strong, like, like these almost uh, announcements and, and hopes and dreams and prophetic statements over someone. Or they were very clear, defined statements of reality. Shama got his name from that second side of things, if you will. Shama was, was born, and when the doctor, if you will, passed little, 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 little infant baby, baby Shammah to his mom. His mom looked at him and maybe what she saw was desolate. Or maybe she looked at him, she, she was appalled, stunned, astonished that um, her baby looked <laughs> such a way. Maybe if Shema's mom had been born in the southern United States and grown up there culturally, she would have looked at her baby boy. And, you know, they, they, they'd be telling you, like, like 
Some babies is only beautiful in their mother's eyes. Uh, some babies ain't even beautiful in their own mother's eyes. You know what I'm saying? Like, you just be real honest about it. It's like, ugh. Sh- Sh- Shema's mom, if she was born in the South, may have just looked at her new baby boy and said, bless his little heart, because uh, this brother ugly. I shall call him Shama, because I am stunned that you look this way. I, I am actually appalled that I would have a child that would look like this. It, it, is, it is also fair to note where Shammah was raised. The, the text tells us that his name was Shammah, son of Agi, who we also do not know much about, but we do know about the Hararites. These were mountain-dwelling people, people who would have lived up in the mountains in these cutouts, caves, clefts of the rock. This is where they would have found shelter. This is where they would have done the work that they did to make money for their family so they could eat and, and move forward. And you also know this just about where we live, that where you live can determine and start to shape how you look, right? Like you can start looking a little, you move to a different part of the country and live there long enough, you will stop looking like where you're from and start looking like there. There are certain places in the country where you will begin to take on, or you move to another country, you will find because of the food that you eat and the sun that you were in and the fact that you do have air conditioning, don't have air conditioning, the fact that it's dark six months of the year, the fact that you need the heat on nine months of the year, or you need the air on 10 months of the year, you will find things starting to change about you, and you hardly even notice it. But you can tell where somebody from just how they look. You know what I'm saying? That's why they talk sometimes about them corn-fed boys. You know, like when football time comes around like it is right now. And be like, ooh, that's that corn-fed boy. Because, uh, uh, because uh, look, at, look at him. He was big, and he was raised on a farm, and he ate a certain thing and did a certain thing. And you, you see it in the way that they're built. Growing up in the mountains, as Shammah did, gave Shammah uh, some physical features that, uh, let's just say that Shammah had no chance of winning uh, most handsome in high school. To say it another way, Shammah wasn't going to get nowhere based on his looks, okay? Ain't nobody voting for Shammah because they're like, oh, he looks exactly what I think a president or a king should look like. No, 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 that wasn't Shammah. Shammah, God graced him with a strong back. And Shammah, God graced him with an able body. And Shammah, God didn't grace him with good looks, but, but, but he was a working man. He had work to do and did it. So that's why when Shammah comes of age and it's time for him to set out on his own career path, he became a warrior. Because warriors were not necessarily needed to look a certain way. You just had to be a certain thing. There had to be some toughness about you, some strength about you, some bravery about you. And it would appear that Shammah, based on his appearance and based on his upbringing, his neighborhood, his place in way that he would have grown up, that Shammah fit the bill perfectly for these purposes that God had for his life. See, the purposes of God for your life are often connected to the places God puts you in life. Sometimes we spend so much energy 
trying to resist and reject where we're from, to cover up what we are naturally gifted at, to cover up maybe how God wired us or how God made us because we're trying to fit into a mold that somebody else says we should fit into. And in doing so, we miss the purposes, plans, construction, and desire that God has uniquely put into us. Some people spend their whole life hanging on to this dream that somebody told them along the way that you can be anything you want in life. Well, what about learning what God made me to be and walking therein? We find ourselves pulled sometimes because we're trying to change and forget and remove and disassociate ourselves from where we're from and how we were. But yet, God had us born there. And God knit us together while we were in our mother's womb. And God understands the complexities and the circumstances of our life that are all being woven and weaved together to form us into who he made us to be, to do the thing he has us to do. And Shammah, rather than trying to figure out how to uh, look a certain way, Recognize, listen, my mama said she was astonished to see me when I was born, okay? I know how I look. But maybe there's something God can do. Maybe there's some purpose for me in how I'm put together. But peace, like of all things that warrior Shema could fight for lentils, a field full of beans. Why would these be significant? Why would the only record of a great warrior who literally was one of the top three of David's mighty men, and David's mighty men were the top of all of his tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of warriors that would serve him in life. The, the mighty men were the top 37, and Shammah was the top three of those because he defended a field of peace. What was so significant about these peas? I know what you're thinking. You're, you're, you're thinking he defended them because they were his peas. I mean, this is how he was going to make money, and this is how he was going to provide for his family, or this is how he paid his taxes. And so, and so these peas mattered, and that's why he stood up and fought. No. Shammah was the son of Agi, the Hamorite. He grew up in the mountains. He would have learned the crafts and the trades of people that lived in the mountains. Let me tell you what they ain't growing on the side of the mountain. Peas. Shema wasn't a pea farmer, he was a warrior. The uh, peas weren't Shema's possession, but they were Shema's assignment. They weren't the thing that he called his own, but they were the thing that as a warrior, he was assigned with others to protect. They were the thing that he was called upon to take a stand and to make sure that this is safe. 
that this is protected. Peas weren't Shammah's possession. They were Shammah's assignments. And for whatever reason, this assignment was significant. Why? Would you write this down if you're taking notes today? Significant assignments are never about what and always about who. Significant assignments for Shammah and for you. Significant assignments for me today, for you next year. Significant assignments are never about what we do, but who we do, what we do for. Several years ago, I got invited to this conference called a World Leaders Conference, like at the last minute. If I remember correctly, I think I found out on Saturday and flew out on Monday for this conference, right? Like it was very last minute. And I heard about it, and it was a, like a church conference, but it was more than that. It was this sort of intersection where there would be church leaders, but also some of the leading business leaders in the world, some of the leading like political figures in the world, like all converging on the same space. And it wasn't like 50,000 people. It was literally a room of several hundred people. And at the last minute, I got invited like, like I could fly for free, I could stay in a hotel for free, I could go to the conference for free. And I was like, bet, West Palm Beach, Florida, let's go. And so I hopped on a plane and I went. I remember getting in late one night and going to this like pre-thing early the next morning. And when I went there, I, I bumped into a, a guy I knew pretty well. A guy, he would have been a friend at that time, right? I just don't see him very much anymore. That's why I, ain't really, I wouldn't call him a friend anymore. But at the time, he would have been a friend. And I bumped into him. I said, hey, man, I said, what's going on? And he begins to tell me that he is in charge of sort of shuttling some of the most significant people around here around, picking them up from the airport, running them back, and he's got this team of people doing it, but he's like, man, the team they gave me is, is boo-boo. <laughs> and like, can't nobody do nothing. And I was like, oh man, that stinks. And I wasn't thinking much of it. I was about to go, go do the thing, because I'm just there to enjoy this, this little conference. And he goes, um, he goes, hey, could you help me? And I said, help you do what? He said, but there's, there's, there's so much stuff going on. He's like, I don't really have a lot of people I can rely on. In fact, I've got some gaps in my schedule. Do you think you could help host some of these people? Now, when I say some of these people, you've got to understand, it was at this conference was, I, to the best of my knowledge, the only time in my life that I have physically ever been in the same room as someone who has been president of the United States. In fact, I was sitting on the front row over on the edge when the doors opened, and uh, before uh, former president at, at, that, at that time, George W. Bush, walked in, uh, there were um, secret service, like just filing in, right? I, I was the first person like closest to the door where he was walking. I had no idea of this. And I have never been looked up and down more <laughs> than, than because I was like, and I didn't know this, but I was like the first person who was going to come by and glad hand handshake on his way up to, the, up to the stage to give his remarks and do his thing and then go right back out the door. But man, I was looked up and down because they were like, who is this six foot four, 200 pound, and like, 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 it was, there were people there. 
And so I told my friend, I said, sure, man, I'll help you however. I said, I'm not like some professional host. I don't necessarily know how to do this, but like, if you tell me where people need to be and when they need to be, and you need to ride some people around, I can do that. He said, bet. He said, can you take this Suburban? And he hands me some keys. <laughs> and he said, can you go pick up Bob from, from, from the airport? And I said, uh, sure. He said, well, he's already there. So if you could leave now, uh, this would be great. And I said, oh, okay. So I dart over to the airport to go get Bob. And I'm talking to Bob and everything's great. And I find out that Bob likes to play golf. So we start talking about golf and doing this kind of stuff. And Bob is just in and out. He's got a quick thing to make it. Uh, I, I, I didn't think anything of it. It was just like talking to a, an older gentleman. You know, it's the way I, I felt. Well, come to find out a afterwards, I found out that Bob was um, actually the CEO of Home Depot. <laughs> like the top <laughs> of the entire company that is Home Depot. I, I didn't know this till Bob was giving his talk that I had driven him to, and they introduced him as the CEO of Home Depot. And I'm like, oh man, I should have, I should have talked about drywall or something. Like I did this all wrong. And uh, as soon as he got done, I had to, I had to drive him back to the airport, and, and, and you know, and I, 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 I joked with him about like, I'm sorry, I had no. He said, no, 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 it's fine. He said, this is wonderful. Let's keep talking about God, you know, this stuff. So I end up dropping him off, and I come back to this conference, and I'm like, okay. Thankfully, I'm done. I can enjoy the things. And I go to my friend. I try to give him the keys to the suburban. He said, he said, man, Bob loved you. I said, well, that's great. I didn't know Bob was the CEO of Home Depot. <laughs> like, and uh, I would have, I don't know. I just would have been different, you know? And he said, that's, he says, okay, man, you did great. He said, could you help me with another one? I was like, bro, I thought I was here, like, to learn or to have fun. Like, I am working. But I was like, all right. Who do you need help with this time? And I said, tell me who they are. And he said, oh, you'll know this person. He said, I need you to go pick up these two people. And when he said their name, um, I got nervous. Because I don't get um, intimidated around people. Like, celebrity means just not a lot to me. But there are some people that I have either listened to or learned from or watched from afar for so long that I sort of revere them in a certain way. And, you know, I don't know them personally, but I know them from afar. And the people he needed me to pick up were um, two guys that served together uh, in, this, in this church. And um, this church is, was at the time and still is the largest church in America. This church today has probably up near 50 different locations all over the country. Probably sees 100 to 150,000 people come to services across all their locations uh, every single weekend. I mean, like, I knew this name. And he's like, I need you to care for them for about 24 hours. They're coming in this afternoon, and he gave me the schedule. They got to be here, they got to do this, they got to do this, they got to do this. And he's like, it'll be kind of busy. You might not be able to be around the conference a lot. Uh, but he's like, if you could just care for them and take for them, man, it would mean the world to me. And I said, yeah, 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 no, I got it. And I, <laughs> you want to talk about not being yourself. Like, I almost got into a car accident with a private plane. Like, like we had problems, okay, like for real. Um, but, um, but I remember that 24 to 30 hours that I had to care for that pastor and the guy that was with him. Um, and to be honest, I had to do a lot of like menial stuff, like go pick them up from the airport and then take them to their session and then run and get them lunch and bring it back and make sure that after a few minutes of 
their session being done that I pulled them away and got them back to the car and got them to their next thing. I remember the night that they were there, I had to drop them off at this dinner with a bunch of these leaders from this thing. And nobody told me like what to do during dinner or how long dinner was. I didn't know if this was like a go in for 30 minutes and leave or you're going to be there for three hours. And so I just sat in the car in the parking lot the whole time. Nobody gave me any instruction. And I took them to their hotel, brought them back, session, brought them back, took them to the airport, and finally got done with it. And I remember talking to my friend afterwards, and, and he, he said, man, they, they spoke so highly of you. He said, man, you were fantastic, just above and beyond. He said, thank you for helping me. And I was like, no, no, it was nothing. Because it was an honor for me to take them around because they have blessed me from afar for so long in so many ways. It, it didn't matter that this stuff maybe was supposed to be beneath me. I learned a long time ago, if you're too big to serve, you're too small to lead. Like it wasn't about this. For me, it was an honor, not because of what you asked me to do, but because of who you asked me to do it for. See, it wasn't about the assignment I was given. It was about who that assignment was for. And Shama understood something about his assignment that you may have missed when we read his story, but I pray it comes alive to you right now. Shama understood he wasn't securing the peace. He was standing for God. The reason Shammah is recorded in 2 Samuel 23, the reason Shammah is known as a, as a mighty warrior of David, the reason Shammah is, is recorded and we're speaking about him thousands of years, some 3,000 years after he lived, the reason he was significant wasn't because of what he did, but because of who he did, what he did for. See, the people of Israel had these common enemies in the eyes of God, known as the Philistines. And God was constantly trying to protect his people from the Philistines because the Philistines were carnal people. The Philistines were people who were hedonistic in that they would give themselves totally to whatever they felt was good for them. They had no concern for God or the things of God, no concern for any God or the things of any God. And God did not want that thinking, that influence, that mindset to get inside of his people. That's why God raised up David earlier in his life to defeat a giant. You know that story, Goliath. And Goliath was a Philistine. There's this constant tension between the people of God and the Philistines because God did not want the influence. God did not want the power of the Philistines to get in his people. And when Shammah stood his ground, when Shammah saw that there's opposition all around them in his little pea field. He understood that this was not about him securing these peas, but that God would want them to stand. God would want them to fight. That if God was going to bring deliverance, this might be a moment where God would bring deliverance because God doesn't want that to win here. The interesting thing is, is everyone bailed. That's what the scripture says. Shammah was protecting these peas with a troop. 
everyone bailed when the opposition came. But Shammah understood the assignment, that it wasn't just about securing the peace. It was about standing for God. See, I believe today what God wants to raise up in you and in me and in us and all those who are some shamans. Some people with a, a shama spirit on the inside of them who, who refuse to back down, refuse to bend their knee when opposition comes, but will stand up because they understand it's not about what I'm doing. It is about who I am doing, what I am doing for. It is not about the fact that I won't budge on this. It is about the fact that I stand here in the name of the Lord my God. See, when everyone around us fears, Shema's fight. When everyone around gets scared, when everyone around talks about how it isn't possible, it can't be done. That is not what the Shamas do. Shamas fight. Now, they had a real reason to be afraid. These Philistines were good fighters. They had logical excuses that made all the sense in the world as to why they should turn and run. It's just some peas. We can plant some new ones. We can actually probably borrow some or buy some at the store. This ain't that big a deal. But rather than let fear lead, Shema stood his ground and fought. And God brought about a great victory that day. Why? Because Shema understood something you often forget. That you plus God equals a majority. See, everyone that was with Shammah looked around and said, there's more of them than there are of us. They're more skilled. They're more powerful. They're more, they, 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 they seem a little bit more ready to fight and attack than we are. No, no, no. But Shammah understood that him plus God equals a majority. And so though many may oppose me, I come ready to fight. Because that's the spirit of a Shammah. When everyone fears, Shammah's fight. When everyone, write this down, when everyone sprints, Shammah's stand. See, there will be times in your life, maybe you are in a moment that looks like this right now, that everyone bails on the assignment. Everyone bails on the mission. Everyone turns their back on the calling. Everyone says, not that city, not that neighborhood, not that street. Not that school, not those people anymore. I'm about to leave on this, but the Shamas know the assignment. See, it was everyone that was around him that ran from their assignment because of the outside adversaries. But Shama stayed. Shama stayed because of who? Shama stayed not because of what it was he was asked to do. Not because of what it was he was told to do, but because of who he was doing, what he was doing for. And so he said, y'all may run, but I'm going to stand and fight. And the scripture says that the Lord brought about a great victory. Because when everyone else sprinted, he stood in his assignment. You know, as a church, believing has some assignments. We have things that God has called us to do. We have places that we stand and we will not back down and we will not be dissuaded or dismayed regardless of what other people say, regardless of what other people do or may think. We won't back down because this is our assignment. This isn't what's easy. It's our assignment. 
It's not because it's popular or neat or celebrated. It's our assignments. And our assignment matters because of the one who gave us our assignment. You know, that's why we feed hungry people like we do. For now, maybe you were here at church online and, and saw the first five where we celebrate this. But now for more than three years, every single month, sometimes multiple times in a month, we have served tens of thousands of pounds of groceries for free. And we did that when it was celebrated. You know, there was a time when, when people were shut in and, and COVID was running rampant that we got started doing this. And, People loved to do news stories on it and loved to celebrate this. And there were other people even doing it at the time, saying, we want to make a difference. The interesting thing is, as soon as the food started costing money, it wasn't just given for free and you pass it out. A lot of people bailed. The interesting thing is, is that people are still hungry. That's why every time we do a grocery drive through it doesn't matter if we do like we did on yesterday and it's on a Saturday, uh, as we typically do, or we operate it during the week in partnership with the business, we end up having to close our line before we can even open it. You know why? Because the need is great. We don't do it because it's easy, because, baby, I would love to sleep in. I'd love to. In fact, the only day of any week in any month that I might possibly get to sleep past like 6.15 happens on Saturdays. But not grocery drive-thru Saturdays. No, man, I'm up at 5. You know, it's okay. It's our assignment. It's the reason now for more than three years we have served free meals to kids every day after school. It's the reason that we become partners with organizations like the United Way to distribute uh, supplies and resources to people who might have need and be in need in our community. You know why? Because this is our assignment. This is what God has called us to do. Not because it's easy, not because it's convenient, not because it's celebrated. This is our assignment. Some people said it's too hard. That's okay. It's our assignment. And we stand in our assignment because of who we do, what we do for. It's the reason that we enable Christmas to be possible for thousands of kids in Memphis. We've heard all the stats, you've heard all the stats too, about how many people live in abject poverty in our city. Which means that you come to a season like the Christmas season, where kids not only are not getting food at school, that expense now sits on parents maybe who don't have the means to cover that. But then you put this cultural phenomenon on people where everyone should spend more money buying gifts and presents and toys and things for their children, and there are tens of thousands of families in our city who simply cannot afford to do that and provide that for their kids. That's why we stepped in several years ago and started hosting something called Christmas Palooza. And we didn't begin it the way it goes now. We began it by saying, how much can we do? And, and, and everything that was given was given by our church. It was financial investment from the church. It was people going out and buying toys on their own. And we served as many people, as many kids as we possibly could. And we did it again and again. And then last year, we expanded our reach by, by, by inviting in sponsors to be a part of it with us. You know what's funny? Is that there are people 
who as we have tried to serve more kids, more toys, who've gotten mad and told us they didn't believe we were doing the work of God. People have left the church because we serve kids. See, when opposition comes, you, you, you stand in your assignment because you remember who gave you the assignment. That's why this year we are pushing hard and we are in the process of, of recruiting sponsors right now for Christmas Palooza. In fact, if you've got a business that might be interested in partnering with us, go to christmaspalooza.org right now. Share that word. Reach out to me. We'll send them a brochure. We can send you. We can resource you because we are trying to raise tens of thousands of dollars. Why? So that we can provide Christmas to kids who wouldn't get it otherwise. It's the reason that we provide quality, affordable housing for single moms. We don't do this because it's easy. In fact, sometimes I step back and laugh, like, why us? We don't have the budget to just do this. <laughs> we, we don't have the, 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 the influence just to make this happen, just be like, twinkle our nose and snap our fingers and boom, there it is. It's work for us. But we don't let the difficulty or the expense or the delays stop us from standing in our assignment. This is what God called us to do. It's why we work to be a church for all people. That sounds neat when you put it on a t-shirt or stick it on a sign. It's a whole other thing when people feel it and see it and sense it and it gets fleshed out. And some of the things that may matter to church people don't really matter to us because we're trying to be a church for all people. And people may not always understand it. And sometimes people may, may misconstrue and misunderstand what you're trying to do. And that's okay. We can handle the opposition. Because God called us to stand in this assignment. Not everybody will stand with you, and that's okay. When they run, you know what we do? We stand. When, when people get scared, because they're like, why you got to be in that neighborhood? Why you got to serve in those kind of streets? <laughs> when they stay scared, we stand. When they say, can't nothing good come out of that neighborhood, you know what we do? We stand. When they say, you'll never fix that school, you know what we do? We stand. When they say, nothing good can come from that city, have you heard the news? Have you read the article? You know what we do? We stand. When they say you're trying too hard, you're, 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 you're wasting, you should do this differently, you should move, you should, everybody else is like, we stand. Because God has given us an assignment. And we recognize it is not the what we do that matters. It's the who we do, what we do for. See, what I have learned along the way, and maybe you have experienced this in your life, and if you haven't, maybe I invite you to step into it. Because when we stand, God fights. When we stand, God fights. When we say this city shall be saved, this community shall be changed. When we say we ain't going nowhere, this is our assignment. God starts to fight battles for us that we could not win on our own. But him plus us becomes a majority. 
See, I need you to understand the most foundational idea of God fighting for you. The God who can fight. Because so many of us misconstrue it and misuse it and wonder why we don't see God fighting. And that's because you were expecting God to fight in a place that he is not overly concerned about. Please write this down in your notes. God doesn't fight for your advancement. God fights for your assignment. God does not fight so you can become popular. God does not fight so you can become a big deal at your work. God does not fight so everybody can know your name. God fights for the assignment he put on your life. The assignment he's invited you into. But one more thing about assignments as we come to a close on today. Assignments from God aren't given to a few. They're just accepted by a few. God doesn't just extend his assignments to a few people. Shammah wasn't something special. He was an ugly big boy from the hills who was in a pea field with a, a whole bunch of other people. And when the opportunity to stand came, they all got scared and left. But Shema said, no, 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 no. I will not allow the opposition of my God to win on this day. And so whatever it costs me, it costs me, but I will stand here. Can I tell you, you have an assignment today. Some of you have been rejecting your assignment, pushing back your assignment, running from your assignment. You have an assignment today. And it's in that assignment that God can fight. God will fight. But you have to be willing to stand in your assignment even when nobody understands. See, you are standing in your assignment when you be the parent you should, not the one that you had. Because the example you had walked out. The example that you had said that, that, that you didn't matter enough. The example that you had, you don't, or you don't even have a relationship with. And there's something in you that feels constantly fighting, like you're going to do the same thing. No, no, no. Stand in your assignments and watch God fight for you. When you choose to make a difference in your life, not just a living. Ain't nothing wrong with making a living. Make a living. That's fine. But in your living, make a difference. Realize that some of you, God has grace to be able to to make and acquire great resources. Don't just use that on yourself. Make a difference through it. Some of you, God has graced with connection. He is graced with talent. He is graced with ability. Don't just use that and consume that for yourself. Make a difference through it. Stand in your assignment. When you stay, though everybody else may leave, and you say, no, 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 no. We're going to serve this school. We're going to be a blessing to this neighborhood. No, 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 no. No, my city will not take on that name because I, when you stand in your assignment and are faithful to your assignment, no matter what, God will fight for you because God can fight. And God, write this down, will fight when you're faithful. When you're faithful, God will fight. If you stand, he fights.
If you bail, he don't. The story of Shammah would not even be a story if he had not stood. God spoke through the prophet Ezekiel. He said, I've looked around. I've looked for somebody who would stand in the gap, who would plead and rebuild the walls. But I found none. It's like God was saying to him, I, I want to do something. I want to show up. I want to fight, but there's no one there. God will fight when you're faithful. And God will fight where you're faithful. The place that you stand in is the place that God will fight. Everybody ran, but the scripture says, 2 Samuel 23, Shammah stood in the middle of the pea field, and he fought with all his might. But it was the Lord who brought about a great victory. Shammah, stunned to see your appearance. Shammah, unsightly. Shammah from the hills. You know, the Old Testament is filled with the names of God. Jehovah Jireh, he is our provider. Jehovah Nisi, he's the one who reigns in victory. Jehovah Shalom, he is our prince of peace. Jehovah Shammah is a name given to God. The end of the book of Ezekiel. You know what it means? The Lord is present there. I read somewhere that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells inside of everyone who believes. Can I tell you person of faith? Can I tell you believer? Can I tell you Jesus follower that wherever you stand, God stands there with you. And wherever you are, God will fight when you are faithful. And God fights where you're faithful. If you will plant yourself and stand your ground, the one who is great and powerful and mighty who fights for you will fight for you where you're faithful. And God will fight for you while you're faithful. In that time that you stand fighting, Shammah didn't quit when he had won a, uh, he had defeated one or two of those Philistines. Shammah kept fighting, Shammah kept standing until he had driven them all away. That's why today I came to encourage someone who feels like you're standing where God told you to stand. You're standing in your family believing for their salvation, but it don't feel like anybody's getting saved. You're standing in your workplace believing that somehow God would use you there, but you haven't seen how the dots connect yet. You're, you're, you're standing in your neighborhood believing somehow it'll be different, but yet it seems like, like the violence and it seems like, like the, the despair and disdain like only grows and you're like, God, I don't know if I can stand any longer. Can I give you the words that Paul gave a church? Don't become weary in doing what's right. Because in the end, 
you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. God can fight, and God will fight while you're faithful. See, today what I believe with all my heart is that God is looking for some shamas today who won't worry about the opposition, but who will understand the assignment and trust the assigner. They, 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 won't, they won't demean the work God hands them because God may be asking you to be faithful in the job you already have. God may be asking you to stand your ground in the neighborhood you've lived in for 10 years. God may be asking you to continue to love and continue to care for friends you've cared for for the last five years. God may be asking you to do the same, but to stand your ground. It may be hard. Everybody around you may say, it's time to leave. It's time to go. It's time to change. It's time to do different. And God may be saying, I'm about ready to fight for you. You need to stand. Because see, that's actually all Shama had. You don't need the faith to fight. You need the faith to stand. Because if you'll stand, God will fight. If you'll say, no, 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 this, this school matters. This neighborhood matters. This city matters. This need matters. These people matter. If you'll stand and find the faith to not allow the opposition that you see the opposition that you hear to stop you, God can fight for you. And today, I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to some of our hearts. Some of you, he's, he's calling you to work. He's calling you to service. Some of you, he's calling you to to become advocates for people. He's calling you to become advocates for neighborhoods and streets. He's calling you to make it. If things that you've driven by, he's saying, I want you to lean into. You need the faith to stand, trusting that God can fight for you and God will fight for you because that is what only he can do. Father, I love you and I thank you today. Father, I pray you give us the faith, the courage, and the determination today to stand in our assignment. For some of us, it's the assignment that we've pushed to the side. For some of us, it's the assignment that we've neglected. For some of us, it's the assignment that we have been trying to serve, trying to be faithful in, but it's gotten so expensive or it's gotten so hard, or it's gotten so tiresome for us that we don't know how much longer we can. God, fill your people with the faith and the strength to stand, knowing that while they stand, where they stand, and when they stand, you can and you will fight for them. Because they're not standing in their possession. They're standing and the assignment you gave them. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word today. We pray all this in your precious name. And everybody said, amen.